You are listening to the Cancer from A to Z podcast with Dr. Rosalind Morell. Episode 9, How to Talk to Your Child About Your Cancer Diagnosis with Dr. Randy Schachter. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer from A to Z podcast, where we discuss the issues and topics related to a diagnosis of cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Rosalind Morell. These podcast episodes are intended for informational and educational purposes only and are not a substitute for medical treatment by a healthcare professional. They do not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. Please consult your doctor or other health professional with any questions you have regarding any medical conditions. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cancer from A to Z podcast. Today's episode is about how to have that conversation with your child or your children about your cancer diagnosis. And I think this episode is going to be important for those who have small children or even those individuals who have adult children. If you are a parent, it can be difficult to have this conversation with your child or your children. And I think you could probably even say it can be hard to have this talk about cancer with your parents or your siblings. But today we are going to focus on some of the best ways to discuss cancer with your child. I am really excited to have Dr. Randy Schachter, a board-certified psychiatrist, on the show today. She is from Matthews, North Carolina, where she is the founder and owner of Silver Psychiatric Services, and she focuses her practice on women and children. She is a graduate of UCLA and New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, and she did her psychiatry training at Zucker Hillside Hospital and Levine Children's Hospital. She's a distinguished fellow of the Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and she is also the creator of an interactive continuing medical education program in Charlotte, North Carolina, for women physicians to help them manage burnout and stress. I'm really excited to have Dr. Schachter on the show, and I hope that some of the things that we talk about help you have this conversation with your children. I hope you enjoy today's episode, so let's get started. Hi, Randy. Thank you so much for being on the Cancer from A to Z podcast. How are you on this really nice Sunday? I am good. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. At least it's nice in Southern California. How is it there? It's a lovely, brisk, sunny day here. Well, the sun is going down, but it's gorgeous. Oh, that's good. Good, good, good. So thank you so much again for doing this episode. I think it's going to be great. And we're going to be talking about how to talk to your children about a cancer diagnosis. But before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into psychiatry? Sure. I loved listening to people and people love talking to me. So it just was kind of a no brainer. Uh I love working with children and women and that's who I primarily treat and helping them kind of find a better quality of life, whether it's through medicine or therapy or life changes, whatever it takes to kind of live our best selves, really. Right. And when you were in medical school, what was it about psychiatry that got you interested? To be honest, it was whenever we had to read articles and journals, they were the Mm -hmm. ones that like never bored me. I was always fascinated about understanding minds and how we work and 
connect and the body and the mind are so connected. So even though I am a psychiatrist, there's so many medical issues that interplay. So I really get the most of everything. Yeah, I bet. And you're located in Georgia, is that right? Matthews, which is right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. I don't know why I was close, thinking Georgia. I was close. <laughs> that is close. And so you focus your practice primarily on women and children. Correct. And why do you do that? Or how did you get to that point? So I'm board certified as an, a generalist, which treats everybody. And then I also have board certification in child and adolescent psychiatry. And so it started out that I primarily treated children And then as women started to grow, young ladies started to grow into women, I loved the issues. As I got older, it also became more interesting to me to be able to do both. Women and children first, that's who we're supposed to save, right? Right, right. And so it's a lovely combination. And when we think about studies about kids with depression, very often their resilience is based on the health and well-being of their mothers. Mm. So if we can keep moms healthy, then the likelihood of those children struggling decreases significantly too. Right, right. I just, I remember psychiatry in in medical school and yeah, it was definitely an interesting field for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine so. So, you know, when it comes to cancer patients and people being diagnosed with cancer, that's really hard. And I have patients every day that ask me for references to psychiatrists, psychologists, and it's really important that, you know, they see individuals such as yourself because this is, can, like I said, can be so difficult. Sure. And especially when, you know, you're talking about you yourself are being di- have been diagnosed with cancer, and now you have to communicate that information to your children. Which is really important to do. Yeah. Have you had a number of patients in your practice that you've had to mm-hmm. talk about that with? And so when I was in training, they were transitioning from the theory that it was better for the kids to kind of not really know what's going on because it was protective to the concept mm-hmm. that actually... Children with their imaginations, often if they don't know the details, their imaginations can negatively impact how they handle it. So it's important to kind of let the children and young adults and babies even have some concept and an opportunity to ask questions. And especially at different stages, they tend to kind of think that they did something wrong that, or that it's contagious or all kinds of scary ideas that if an open dialogue, as hard as it is going to be, happens so that they can provide comfort and support and actually the real answers to those ideas that may make them more scared. Right. And you bring up an interesting point. So I was going to ask you, at what age, I mean, so let's say you have maybe a five-year-old at home. I mean, right. how, do you, how do you approach that subject with a child so young? Well, one of the things that probably isn't a good idea is to tell them that they're going to sleep and they're not waking up. Right. Because then, of course, they then are afraid of sleep and we need them to sleep. Right. But to basically try to give examples of how, you know, in the fall, the leaves die and plants die and they... They don't come back. Some do, but some don't. And so when some people are sick, they can get better. But with cancer, it's one of those annuals as opposed to a perennial because that's something that they can often see in real life, right, that they've Mm -hmm. had this, you know, pretty little 
flower that doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. And so you can give them a visual and an actual concrete thing to kind of describe it. And you want to let them know that they're not going to be in pain or suffering, that they just aren't. Mm -hmm. Their physical self and body aren't there, but of course they live through our memories and stories and other ways. So they're always with us, whether they're alive or dead, Mm -hmm. but they're just not physically present. And so, you know, when you're a baby, there's really not a concept of eternity or mortality and even some preschools. And, you know, there's not really an age cutoff because children development differs from child to child. Mm -hmm. And so it's more understanding your kid and their concept as to what approach you're going to use. And and more importantly, to give them time to ask questions and try to answer them the best that you can. And if you don't know the answer, then be honest enough to say, you know, I don't know, but let me figure it out. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about it you know, once I know tomorrow or the next day, and then whether it's calling the doctor and saying, well, my son asked me, like, how much time do I have? And I I was so overwhelmed with the question that I didn't even ask that. Mm -hmm. What is my, you know, prognostic life expectancy? And what will it look like? And so then you go back and you say, you know, I'll probably be confused around the end and might not always be with energy. And that's supposed to go on for, I don't know, a couple weeks, a couple months. But, uh, you know, hold my hand sometimes when I'm there because I'll still maybe notice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of other things that come into play. And so some families think that maybe they should stay home and miss school to be there. But that can be even more traumatic for the child, right? We want them to have opportunities to bond with their loved one. But we also want them to maintain some level of routine. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's definitely when you're getting into that discussion about death and dying. What about for individuals who maybe are have early stage cancer and how should they approach that? You know, for instance, if they're going to be getting chemotherapy or radiation, they're obviously going to be maybe nauseated, some vomiting, you know, right. in bed, tired from those type of treatments. And how should people talk to their children about that? The same way that they would tell their spouse, really, that so I take this medicine and it makes me sick because it needs to kill these cancer cells. And so sometimes when it's killing the cells, it kills some of the good cells and it makes me weaker and tired. But we were really lucky. We live in a modern world with modern medicine and there are things that we can do and I will get better Mm -hmm. and this will be over and I'll have to get checkups and there's still risks Once this gross part is over, Mm -hmm. I'll be able to go to baseball games and softball games or whatever it is that you want me to be a part of like we used to. Right. And so do you advise that when individuals are having these conversations with their kids, should they have like a friend, a family member, a partner be present? Or If there is such a wonderful person, then the answer is yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I can imagine that to show some support and understanding and have another individual there would be would be good. What are the differences in terms of, or do you advise, for instance, if you have a younger child versus a teenager, are there things that maybe parents should incorporate into the discussion or have with them? Do you find that using dolls or toys for the younger individuals kind of helps in that way? Sometimes, or sometimes there are some books out there, or there's like, I don't know if you know who Harold in the Purple Crayon 
It sounds familiar, but Okay, no. so it's a little kid's book, and there's one that I love from my own child who we used to read, and it's called I Remember Goldie. And although mom is not a goldfish, it talks about death and the loss and that concept, and it gives them a, a gentler intro story to what the emotions that go on when we lose something that we love or someone. And so that's a nice way of kind of, you know, before you're ready to have the talk, kind of gauging what the reaction and response to your child would be. And then you can modify how you talk about it based on their understanding and concept. Because as we said, there's that developmental gray area where, you know, they think that, oh, they'll come back as a ghost. And so when we're talking about, so the book can be a helpful segue to kind of know where your kids are developmentally for that school-aged young child. But at the same time, although they kind of understand the concept of death, they also have magical thinking. So angels and skeletons and ghosts. And so even though they know that death exists, the permanence of it isn't really as solidified as it would be in a teenager. Right. And so how would you, how would the conversation be different or how should you prepare if you're talking to like a 16 or 17 year old? So for them, it's matter of fact, support, reassurance, really. It's Mm -hmm. telling them the facts and asking them how much they want to know. How Mm -hmm. much detail do you want in what's happening? And I'll be as honest as I can about it because, you know, teenagers, they don't always feel like we are, mm-hmm. and they need the truth. That'll right. help with the bond and the understanding. And, you know, and so also, it's not always so much about how we tell them. It's also about understanding their reactions. Yeah, yeah. And what are some of the reactions that you have experienced? So across the board, I imagine that many kids will regress a little bit. So like the right. younger kids, maybe if they were potty trained, might wet their bed a little Teenagers might become a little bit more rebellious or have a bit of a defiant style to them because it has a significant impact on how they see themselves, right? You guys are connected and now somebody's dying and maybe other people don't understand and it might be weird with their friends and stuff as they're sad, but they can't explain why. And so then it also becomes, do we keep this a private story or are they allowed to talk about it? And I would imagine that for most healthy families, they would want their kids to be as open with their friends as they felt comfortable, that they're not making this a family secret, even if it's hard. Mm -hmm. Because it's, you know, it's important that they can derive support. And to talk about that maybe their friends might not really understand either. And these are people you could talk to if you needed to. Dad's here. He's not Mm -hmm. going anywhere. And Mm -hmm. I know grandma's sad too, and she'd love somebody to talk about memories and things. Because one of the difficulties is that after somebody gets cancer, they change, right, Mm -hmm. when they're very sick. And so keeping some of the memories of those good experiences helps with the grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you advise having one conversation or multiple conversations? Oh, multiple. About it? Because mm-hmm. new questions and ideas are going to come up. And so you want to make sure that they understand that there's a forum for them to come back and ask anytime. Yeah. And you might tell them, you know, probably not while I'm vomiting. Sometimes humor can be helpful. (laughs) Right, yeah. But, you know, if we're laying in bed and watching a show, I'm happy to turn it off and sit and have a conversation. And 
The other part is when you have, if you are fortunate enough to have a support person there, yeah, them chiming in that they'll be going through it with you too. And that mm-hmm. if you ever want to not burden the cancer person with your worries, I'm always here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really good. And, and what about the kids who maybe have you seen where they get angry? Of course. And what are ways to kind of handle that if you find that your child is now quite angry after these conversations? Recognizing it. Yeah. I know you're angry. Mm-hmm. And often understanding more than just recognizing that that anger is often coming from a place of fear, right? Fear is not a very comfortable emotion. Anger gives us the concept that we have some control over things. And this is not something that they have control over. So trying to be angry isn't going to change it, but it might make it easier for them to tolerate it. So being mindful that if they get angry, they're they're angry because they're scared. Mm -hmm. And so then talk about what they're afraid of. Right. If they are scared, would you, I mean, what about bringing your child to maybe one of your chemo infusion appointments or bringing your child with you to radiation? I think if COVID allows you to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. We are in the age of COVID. Right. But right. So the answer is, I think that if, if it helps them and their relationship and the child in understanding, we do whatever it takes as a parent. Mm-hmm. And then, of mm-hmm. course, if the anger gets really bad or the defiance or they become reckless, then you want to find them a safe place to talk about it because they may not be able to talk about it with you. And right. maybe your spouse or best friend isn't equipped, but there are plenty of people that are. Right. What about if your child is already maybe seeing a psychiatrist for a reason? Are there any times that you think that maybe not having this conversation with your child would be advised? I imagine if they're psychotic, but that's super rare in kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if anything, what I would suggest is that you let the doctor know that this is what's happening to you and could they facilitate the conversation with you? Mm, okay. That's, yeah, that's good advice. I can imagine that would, that would probably be very helpful to sure. get the doctor involved. Well, yeah, this is, I mean, this is fantastic. What else have you seen in terms of, in your practice with children and, and parents and, or extended family members who, are, who have been diagnosed with, with cancer? So I think that one of the things that children struggle with after the fact, after somebody dies, is holding on to the memories. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I often encourage is that if we know in advance that a parent is going to die... And there's some time in wellness that they create some kind of memory video, memory letters that might mark milestones in that child's life that would be memorable, that there be an effort to take your photos off your screen and put them in photo books to look through so that they have some kind of, I'm struggling for the word, but basically some access to Mm -hmm. the person that they know. Mm -hmm. Because for some children, years in, one of the anxieties, I can't remember her face or I can't remember what she smelled like. And so having these little mementos or stories or her handwriting or a dress that she wore kind of gives them something that they can hold on to and invoke those memories so Mm -hmm. that that guilt doesn't 
get the best of them and explaining that not all of the memories will stay, but they're, she'll, they'll still be there, you know, in some spiritual, meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah, I, that would be a really good idea because that way they can, if it's a video, they can, you know, watch it at a time that they feel comfortable watching it and mm-hmm. then watching it over and over. Right. I think that's a really good idea, a very good idea. So this is, I mean, it's, it's such a difficult thing to have to deal with because you have patients themselves, the adults, who are in denial, right? who are struggling with their own diagnosis, who are reluctant to tell adult family members or, or even their, their spouse. And so I think, yeah, having this conversation with children can be, can be quite difficult. It is difficult. But I guess when they're struggling with telling them, mm-hmm. ask them why. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are you afraid will happen if they know? Right. And then work through those answers. Because if it's that they don't want them to be in pain, they're going to be in pain and have tons of questions if you don't tell them. Right. Whereas if you do, then they can be a support and you can be a support while you're still here. Which to me, even if it's hard, it's, you know, you're leaving this legacy of love and kindness and time together that otherwise wouldn't happen. Right. You know, what I've also seen, too, is that there seems to be a little bit of a struggle for those who they have adult children. That also is kind of something that patients struggle with and for various reasons. Sometimes it's related to they don't want that child to worry because it doesn't matter, right? When you're right. even when you're 50, 60, 70 and you have adult children, you're still a parent. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, it's a it's a it's a job that lasts and lasts. But yeah, you know, they don't want them to be worried or sometimes what I've seen in my practice is that some of the patients don't want to tell their adult children because they don't want them to then intervene so to speak. In their choices and what they want to do. Right, exactly. So that's what they tell their child. Mm -hmm. I am telling you because I think you need to know, but Mm -hmm. I have already made decisions, so please, please don't try to override me. Right, right. And yeah, exactly, because having our children around to help us is fantastic. Absolutely. Or our spouse. So the spouse knows and he's got to keep a secret from their other child, their children, and they may not want to. That's difficult. Right. How's mom? What's my, oh, mom's fine. She's just sleeping. Why is she sleeping all the time when I call? I don't know. She's just, parents don't want to have to do that. Right. Often. Yeah, exactly. When should an individual maybe get a psychiatrist or a psychologist involved? What are some of the things, so if you if you've had the, these conversations with your children, but you're noticing some ch- changes in their behavior that are, are a little bit worrisome, what would be, you know, what would you say in terms of... I would say that if you feel like you can't have the conversation, that would be one option. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you've had the conversation and you're losing access to the emotional relationship you have with your child, that would be too. It, it doesn't, you don't have to wait till something bad has happened Mm-hmm. often trust your gut. If you feel like something has shifted and you're not sure how to navigate it, then go talk to somebody or have the kids and you talk to mm-hmm. somebody mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting for something. And that's what the premise would be. Hey, I've noticed that things have changed 
and I'm not sure how to fix it or what to do. So can we go see if somebody else can help us? That made me think of another question. If you have multiple kids versus one child, should you have the conversation with all of the children? Let's say you have five kids. There's no right answer. There's no right answer. I would Mm -hmm. imagine that you start with the, if it's not something that you think that you can do as a group, then we start with the older children first Mm -hmm. and work Mm -hmm. our way down. Okay. Okay. So it depends on the family dynamics. If you typically have dinner together and you are able to all hold a conversation together and the concept of death makes sense. Because sometimes as you're doing the conversation, if you're talking as if you're talking to the child, then the teenage might get a little harumphy. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it makes sense to do that individually, but within a short span of time. So no child is expected to keep the secret forever. But right. if it's your eldest, you could say, look, I'm telling you because I think that it's something that you need to know. I'm going to tell Sam tomorrow morning. I just need to do it, you know, one at a time. So each of you have my undivided. Right, right. Okay. I think that's great advice. Well, anything else, Randy, that you have seen or can advise us on regarding this that you've seen in your practice? I know we've covered a lot. We have. I'm trying to think of. I just, I think that each child may respond completely differently Mm -hmm. and that Everybody grieves differently. Mm -hmm. And so know your child to know that that response is in concert with the style that they are as people Mm -hmm. and then work with that. Right. 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 That's great advice. Thank you so much. This has been really good. So I always like to ask at the end, how can people find you? So my website. So I do two things. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I take care of children and women, and that's through silverpsychiatric.com. But I also do a women professional wellness group, mm-hmm. and they can get continuing education credit. And if that's, and it's in Charlotte, it's local. So if you're here and you're interested, then it's through a company called Silver Spaces, and that's silverspaces.org. Oh, you know what? I th- forgot mm-hmm. about it. So we talked about that book. There are lots of good books out there and resources and programs. So if someone's struggling and they're not ready to go see a therapist, then Mm -hmm. try to find some of those books. Like there's Mummy's Lump by Jillian Forrest and Sarah Garrison, or The Secret Sea, Talking About Cancer by Jelly Stokes and Peter Bailey. And so there are books that you can read to kind of help you gauge with your own kid, where do they fit in that age developmental phase and what approach you want to use. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. So what we can do, what I'll do is I'll make sure that we include that in the show notes. Sure. And then people can, you know, go to those references because that would be anything that, you know, people can have that right. will assist them in these conversations, I think would be essential, really. Sure, sure. Yeah. I can send you a list of a couple books that might be helpful for people to try to look at if you want. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, whatever what whatever resources that you think would be helpful. Yeah, if you could send that to me cuz I'll include that in the in the show notes and and then people can reference that cuz I know, yeah, I would love to have book or books or anything. <laughs> yeah, each story is different. That's what I mm-hmm. tell every patient. So we deal with each situation as it comes. 
Yeah. We may have similarities, but we're all different. Exactly. And it's really just taking it one day at a time. And I guess, have you know, like you said, having open and honest conversations and having those conversations and not like keeping your children in the dark. Correct. Even if it's hard, because in the long run, right. it'll be harder. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to see. They're going to notice. Right. Something's going on. And then, like you said, at the very beginning, they're going to start thinking all kinds of things yeah. that that could be totally way more, you know, out there than what, than what's actually going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Randy Schachter. She gave us a lot of good information on a subject that's kind of difficult to talk about, but I thought that all of her points were so, so good. Please check out the show notes where I have a list of some of the books that she referenced as well as some additional books. And if you need any more information, please check out her website as well as my website at centerpointoncology.com. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to the Cancer from A to Z podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you subscribed and left a review. And if you know anyone who could benefit from this information, please share the podcast with them. Until next time, I am your host, Dr. Rosalind Morell.